Hey everyone, this is Trey Atkins alongside Campbell Garbert, Jack Vesey, and Graham Copeland. Welcome to the Barners Before Bed Show, Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on Weagle 91.1 FM. Your home for late night Auburn athletic coverage from a fan's perspective each hump day. War Eagle. And welcome to Barners Before Bed, episode 29. I'm Trey Atkins. And unfortunately, for the first 20 minutes, I will be by myself, so you'll get to hear my voice nonstop for 20 straight minutes. Jack and Graham are closing out a flag football game, and Campbell Garber is putting the books first tonight. As the great three-year letterman once said, an hour in the weight room is more valuable than days in the library. So unfortunately, one of our co-hosts did not get that memo. But quick little recap of the weekend for all the guys. I'm not necessarily sure what Jack and Graham did. Garber was out in Death Valley watching Clemson play. I'm sure it was a unique environment. Clemson, I've heard a lot of people compare it to the Auburn of the SEC in terms of environment. I mean, it's small town, South Carolina, sort of the same vibe here with the bigger state school being South Carolina, obviously in the SEC, and then here having Alabama. Myself, I was in Athens, Georgia, spending my bye week there. Most people, as we talked about last week, like to spend their bye weeks, I don't know, relaxing, maybe getting a chance to go attend a wedding, sitting back, spending time with family or friends, watching just kicking back and watching football. Me, on the other hand, I got greedy. I bought into the hype of my hometown, Kentucky Wildcats, went to Athens, and once again was humbled by the University of Georgia, who, while in college, I believe now has done the full sweep on me, and I am 0-8 and eight against them in every aspect of both my teams, as in my college and my hometown team. And that was just full-on depressing. I mean, I'll give it to Auburn, at least. I feel like all these road games, except a couple Harson. Harson outings, we've gone and been competitive and leaving the stadium, it's like, oh, well, at least it was a good game, got our money's worth. And maybe not the AM one. Actually, I take that back, Georgia, Ole Miss last year. There's been a few. Penn State, when we went, was close. But this one was just right from the opening whistle, just some lunatic 15-yard penalties, just walking around Athens. I got barked more wearing Kentucky blue than I did wearing Auburn orange and blue which kind of scared me because I obviously want to promote the rivalry and stuff. And I feel like maybe it was because it was a primetime game. There's a little bit more substances in the Bulldog fan base to instigate that smack talk. But once again, Brock Bowers just, he owns me in every aspect of football. I mean, dude, just, he he bought out. I mean, Kentucky just didn't come prepared to play. Mark Stoops never really comes prepared to play in primetime games, which will always have Kentucky right below that 10-2 and winning the East level in the SEC, and it's sad, it, it's sad, but uh, it, it is what it is. It, it's still fantastic what he's done with this Kentucky program, getting him to the Citrus Bowl, winning 10 games. I mean, people forget before he came that Kentucky was, their best years in school history were like 6-5, and 7-5, and five, going to the Music City Bowl. So he's taking it to level, beating Florida three years in a row as well, taking it to levels that the bluegrass faithful could not fathom, but that is enough talking Kentucky. Let's talk about what we got coming up this week with Auburn facing LSU. And unfortunately, facing LSU for might be the last time in a while because we do not face them on our schedule next year. I was doing another look back at what is to come in 2024. I'm sad I won't be a student because there's some great games getting Oklahoma at home. You have the fun road trips of Athens and Tuscaloosa and also going to Lexington, which would have been great for me to have some of my college buddies come in town for that, get a Keeneland trip out of it. I believe it actually maybe towards November, but if it was late October, chilly, and nothing better than that one-two punch in the fall. But 
one thing that caught everyone's eye, besides the Mississippi schools not being on there, is LSU, the absence of the Tiger Bowl. A game throughout Auburn's history, or at least for me growing up, has really made or broke the Auburn season. And let's take a deep dive back into what I mean by that. So it was starting back in 2004 when we played them in an early September game. We beat them 10-9, to and this was coming off a year where, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, Auburn was a successful team, but we didn't make that next level, that next jump, and this game was a game that we had to grind out, and it was one if we were to lose, who would have known, known how our season turned out? And then another one, 2010, that was the welcome to the world Cam Newton moment. I still have Gary's voice in the back of my head when Cam accelerated past Patrick Peterson to get the lead up seven in the second half, and then Ontario McCaleb would just one of the faster runs that ever surfaced Jordan-Hare Stadium. I wish I was there for that. I bet the place was rocking. That was that was a star-studded game, too. You got young Tyron Matthew, LSU. That was They played two quarterbacks back then. I know they had Jetta's younger, or excuse me, older brother, Jefferson. Jefferson. Not Jordan Jefferson. Maybe it was Jordan Jefferson. I don't know. But anyways, they, that was the prime Mad Hatter days. They were coming off a national championship two years before. They sort of owned us for the past few years. We had a heartbreaking loss in Death Valley. or Yeah, Death Valley. And needed to, I guess, get, get that monkey off our back and beat LSU. And we did. And that promoted us to – it was both teams were undefeated. And that really escalated us into national prominence. I believe we actually got jumped to one next week when we were playing Ole Miss – and then they put Oregon back in one. I don't know why. But and then moving on to years, they sort of owned us from the early stage of 2011 to around, wow, yeah, 2014, where they were the best team in the country in 2011, beat us 45-10 to 10 on their home soil. Nothing much you could do there. 2012, we battled. We did not have a great team. Chiswick's last year, there was just missing pieces all over that locker room. Able to somewhat stand our ground, losing 12-10, to 10, and then 2013, this game, just like with Georgia, sort of in an opposite way, maybe even from this team this year, but that is yet to come, was a team-bonding defeat that sort of sparked a light bulb and say, hey, we can compete with these boys on the road. This was coming off a 3-9 and nine season and then going into Death Valley in primetime and hanging with them. And I believe at the time, they were ranked relatively high. We just got cracked in the top 25 after beating Mississippi State with the C.J. Uzma last-second play. And then everyone knows what happened after that. We went on the greatest run in the history of college football. And then 2014 was an absolute beatdown. Duke Williams, Sammy Coach, just putting on an absolute clinic. Falling back, Leonard Fournette put on an absolute clinic. That was embarrassing. That was on my 14th birthday. That What a great 14th birthday present from Lombardi Lenny. I feel like that was one of the more low points of any Auburn fan who grew up around the early 2000s and was their prime years of being a fan was Gus because we came in. This is right after that just embarrassing showcase with Jeremy and company. We got pushed from 6 to 18, just and then we were like, oh, maybe that was just a fluke, whatever. Jacksonville State and on SEC primetime, just Leonard Fournette's Heisman campaign just going straight rocket fuel up to the top. I really can't remember how that team turned out. It must have not been well because the very next year, an all-time classic in this game, it was the the Daniel Carlson game where he tacked on 18 points, all field goals. The Mad Hatter was fired the day after. And I also want to say Lenny sort of distanced himself from the team. So we had them in shambles. I was actually at Kroger for that one in a cold, rainy night up there watching a Kentucky-Vandy game, just your token bottom-of-the-barrel SEC East game at the time. 
and got the notification that Auburn lost on a last-second play, had no idea on earth how it happened, and then 10 minutes later had a few buddies come up to me and be like, hey, man, what a crazy win. What, what are you talking about? And then go back, watch the replay. All-timer there, 2017, following 26. Oh, yeah, no, this win in 2016, as I alluded to earlier, where you'd see these games like really make or break the year because they're around late September, early October. You're still finding out about your team, but it's time to really make a point in the SEC, especially in the BCS era where you couldn't really afford more than one loss. But now in the college football playoff era, we would always play a non-conference team a la Clemson early on in the season that we could still afford another SEC loss. Perfect example, 2016. We go on a great run after. I believe that was when we found out who Cameron Petway was. And dude, for like four or five weeks, was a legitimate, I don't want to say Heisman candidate, but he was a top three back in the SEC. And <laughs> Sean White and the boys couldn't really wrap up that season with a fairy tale story like 2013. Uh, that Athens loss just continuing to burn and burn. That was one of the more hurtful Georgia losses. That's up there with last week for me. And when it comes to the Deep South's oldest rivalry. And unfortunately finishing that season 8-5. and five. And 2017, I truly believe if we were to win that game, I don't know if we beat Georgia and Alabama. I believe that was a wake-up call for Stidham. It was a wake-up call for the offense. It was a wake-up call for Gus to stop being lethargic in the second half when we have a lead. It just happened over and over where the play calling would get dull. There would be nothing. We would not step on their throat, if you will, and finish out the games. And carry on just became a man amongst boys the last part of the year. And I believe without LSU, that wouldn't have happened. The next year, this one, it hurts very, very deep, too. This was actually on my college visit to Auburn. I was a junior in high school, 2-0 coming into it. We, I believe we were talking about this earlier. We were 7-0, or excuse me, number 7 of the country, 2-0, following beating Washington. And we were... I want to say up 11 at one point. It was 21 to 10. Stidham throws a horrendous pick. And Cole Tracy, I want to say it was their kicker, just dials one up from 54. Sinks it, breaks the entire heart of Jordan Hare. Everyone that was at that game knows it was like a zillion degrees. It was the hottest two and a half hours of my life. And then everyone found out about Joe Burrow after that game. That was one of the great Joe Burrow, Joe Shiesty quotes where he said that the Auburn atmosphere at a 330-230 kick is a lot better than a Penn State wideout, and I will forever love that screenshot of that quote. But after that game, our season started to go down to, downhill. I believe, I don't want to say Gus lost confidence in Sidham, but I believe Sidham lost confidence in himself. And that was another one of the Auburn blown leads in the second half. I think they, we went back to our days of getting lethargic calling plays and stuff. 2019, argu- arguably one of the best teams in college football history with Jamar, Burrow, you can go down the line. And we we battled, we battled. Bo and company battled. They they were just the better team, and we were we controlled our own destiny in the college football playoff at the time too. And that's another one of the examples of a game where our season just went downhill after the Tiger Bowl, 2020. I mean, both teams were pretty brutal this time. I don't know what if Harson ever saw this game, but watching Bo and company, Bo threw an. I actually saw this highlight the other day. Bo threw a beautiful ball to Schwartz. I wish we had a weapon like that now, but man, that guy had some speed. Same with Seth Williams. We had some undercover weapons on that team. Kind of weird that they didn't figure it out. COVID, take it or leave it, but we just full-on dominance. I believe we had two defensive touchdowns. TJ just looked like a JV quarterback out there. Moving on, 2021, we were, all of our crew was at this game, and 
It was such a fun game. We were down 10 nothing. The Bo Dini came out. The bright, bright lights were out for Bo, and he thrived after getting benched the week before for TJ. And that was truly just one of the, a great game to, to be a part of, to be there. Garber, that was probably one of the great fan showcases I've seen, leaving the stadium with a cigar. He explained it. I did not know that was a tradition the last time we beat him at Death Valley in 97 that it, all the players brought out the cigars. But he was there. He was chirping back at the Bayou Bengals. It was, it, he put up wilt numbers there leaving Tiger Stadium. And that, that, was, that was really what spearheaded me into inviting him to be part of the show and giving him the label football guy because that was his, his breakout moment as a football fan. And at the time, following that win, we didn't know anything about that team. Yeah, they turned out to be not the best. Six and six, that's below, very below average for the Auburn standards. But if Bo doesn't get injured against Mississippi State, I, I think we go beat South Carolina, beat Bama, finish out the year eight and four. And for Harson as a first-year coach, going to, I would say, maybe an eight and four team at that time would go to the Outback Bowl. Who knows? I mean, Bo may be back. Harson may still have a job, so... Eh, it, Take it or leave it. But that also spearheaded our season to the right direction. And then last year, 2022, that was such a confusing game. It was really confusing because we come out of the gates up 17-0. Robbie's looking dynamic as all get out. And he had that infamous fumble after we held him around the 50-yard line. And it was a scoop and score, cut it to 17-7. to and it just, I feel like everything, any sort of hope we had went downhill. Because LSU also at the time, no one believed they were a, actually not a single soul believed they were an SEC West contender, let alone the champion of the West. And they went on a run after that. So long story short, through breaking down memory lane, this game can really mean a different direction for both teams depending on the outcome. And it's been the same trend for both sides. And this is one of the questions I got on the text chain is, if Auburn were to win, crazy scenario, what's the outcome or what's the direction to get us to Atlanta? And there actually is a very, very good chance that if we win this game, because we're 17-point dogs on the road, like this would be a very impressive win. This would prove that Georgia, that close, close Georgia game wasn't a fluke, and it would prove that maybe Hugh and company belong. When we come back, we'll break down some of those questions, break down our possible road, give another preview, throw out some stats. Jaden Daniels, I mean, he might be the Heisman favorite right now based on the way he's playing. If they come out and go 10-2, and you could see him up in New York holding the trophy. But we'll talk about that and more. I believe Jack and Graham are on their way, so I will have some company. But with that, thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back shortly. And welcome back. Barners Before Bed, episode 29, here on Weagle 91.1. And I forgot to mention, we do the, the betting segment on the show, and LSU, I'm going to come into Death Valley with a chip on my shoulder on Saturday. What a egregious backdoor cover. I'm sure that was on SVP. For those of you who didn't watch it, I mean, Missouri had the rock on their own 10, 42-39, and then they throw a pick six. Just And also, I was watching the game with a few buddies from Kentucky, we flipped it over to the Texas game right at the time that they threw the pick. So I had no idea for an hour. I, I was about to send something in our group chat bragging about being, oh, what's up, Noah? Noah Phillips, 
the man, the myth just walked in. But I was about to brag to my buddies about getting that win on the tally for the week. And then, of course, just an absolute debacle. But anyways, back to the Tiger Bowl coming up. So LSU comes into this game with a 4-2 and record, 3-1 and in the SEC. We come into this game with a 3-2 and record and with two SEC losses. But there is a very distinct chance, a very small chance... First of all, we got to win this one. We haven't, we've won one time in Death Valley since 1997. And it was a full-on miracle, as we talked about in the first segment. It was fun to watch. But it's hard to win here. And that's for every team that walks into Death Valley. As Les Miles used to say, this is where opponents' dreams come to die. And he's not lying. I feel like LSU always is the token team that comes in to games. Even if they're ranked in the top ten, they'll always win in the most whack, close style possible. What's up? <laughs> the the sports the sports guys are throwing me off here. I I blame them. But they always win in the most ridiculous way possible. Everyone knows about the, their classic games against Arkansas at home, the Ole Miss games, especially with Les Miles. We're yet to see with Brian Kelly, but some notes to talk about before we go into this game is that JT Daniel or excuse me, Jaden Daniels is putting on an absolute clinic this season. Almost thrown for 2,000 yards, and it's week seven. Dude's thrown for 19 tutties, two interceptions, and has a QBR of 90.1. And he is really spearheading his name into the Heisman conversation with the Bo Nixes, with the Caleb Williams of the world. And with them having two losses, it's really not been talked about that much. We've seen Heisman winners over the years even have three losses, like Johnny and Lamar come to mind. And they put up ridiculous numbers. If they... If Lamar Jackson on Louisville in the ACC can win the Heisman with three losses, then sure as heck, Jaden Daniels could with two losses. But some other points of note going into this one is that as a team, they averaged 44.8 points per game, 7.81 yards per play. Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas, they're some absolute dogs. They're two of the best in the SEC. They averaged over 100 yards per game. They... As a team, they averaged 548 total yards, ranking third in college football. This is what's leading them to be 17-point favorites. On the other hand, their defense is horrible. No ifs, ands, or buts. If we can put up points and run the ball, because their rush defense is ranked 121st in the country. The entire country. And they also allow 32.2 points per game, which has them ranked 111th in the country. So let's go ahead and look at the text board and see what the fans have been saying about this one. This one's coming from Mason from Bowling Green. Why have the receivers struggled so far? Well, Mason, I think it comes down to just experience. I mean, we have guys who've not been on an SEC field before. I thought they played. And they, Peyton played fine last week. We've talked about that. He didn't really get much help from the receivers. There were some tough balls. Garber was harsh on Rivaldo talking about if he wants to play on Sundays, he's got to make that catch there at the end of the game. Also, Jarquez has got to make some catches. He had some crucial drops that come to mind. Also, I don't get why Jarquez doesn't wear gloves. I think every skilled position player should wear gloves, unless it's raining. Never understood that. As the year goes on and Peyton becomes more comfortable, because with the receivers, it really comes down to him being the X factor and putting them in the right positions in the play calling with you having more of an impact on the play calling if everyone just gets more comfortable, then the receivers will improve. Another text we got, this one's from Henry in Lexington. 
Henry asks, Trey, Brian Harson is the only coach, or excuse me, only Auburn coach since 1999 to win in Death Valley. What will Hugh Freeze need to do to overcome or to come out victorious on Saturday? Well, Henry, we just can't turn the ball over. We didn't do that against Georgia, and we were playing with them till the last minute. I think it's just all about on the road is just giving yourself a chance. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. I, I told everyone I was in Athens rocking Kentucky blue, and that game was over right from the jump because there was ludicrous penalties that just took Kentucky out of the game. Kentucky center had the most egregious, idiotic 15-yarder in the opening drive that sent them back. When they were cooking a little bit, they got to like the 40-yard line, Georgia's 40-yard line, and you just can't give the home team any window, especially in a place like Death Valley, to just have an advantage, especially on the penalty side. If they, if we have more penalties than they do, more penalty yards, then we will not win this game. If we have more turnovers than they do, we will not win this game. We also, we just got to run the rock. As I alluded to earlier, 111th in the country in rush defense, run the ball. And we've done a great job of that, except AM. I believe it's another time to open up the playbook. We've talked about how Phil's taking a backseat and Hughes stepped forward. I believe through the bye week, Hugh is a great bye week coach. I bet we're going to come out prepared. We're going to come out in this opening drive. I would love for us to take the ball on the opening drive and come out and score seven to make a statement. I don't. I, I hate all the analytics people that are huge on getting the ball in the second half. Me as an NCAA 14 coach, I don't think I've deferred once in my NCAA 14 career. Then again, it's a video game. But take it or leave it. I always come out with some momentum. Go 7 nothing. You maybe throw out the four verts or something. Take a shot. Nothing to lose once again. They really... they. I don't want to say that if Brian Kelly were to lose this game, he'd be on the hot seat because it's still year two. They won the West in year one. But he's really rubbed people wrong in this conference. It all started when he had that fake country accent, now going out and not taking accountability for defeats like he didn't against Ole Miss or Florida State. So once again, like two years ago with Coach O, we have a chance to spark some turmoil in that locker room. And maybe through this bye week and after the Georgia loss, this team's come together just like we did in 2013 following the LSU loss. But really, run the ball, don't turn the ball over, play smart, don't do anything stupid. And we will, just give yourself a chance. Just give yourself a chance because they really don't have a good defense. I also believe this is a great time for, and I've been, I don't want to say concerned about it. I've just, I'm not one of the people that supports a two quarterback system, but this will be a huge Robbie game. I bet there's some packages with nine in it and we could really open up their defense. Another key is we got to make sure our pass defense needs to come to play. I know Keontae's out. But Eugene, at the linebacker position, needs to make sure Jaden doesn't get outside the pocket and make plays. Another big game for Jalen Simpson. By the way, balling. The Jalen Simpson haters have been quiet this season. Just due to four interceptions, I believe he's tied for first in the SEC. He's really stepped up in his super COVID senior season, whatever you want to call it. So our secondary needs to come to play. Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas shut them down, contained Jaden Daniels, He's, he's one of the best players in the country. We're not going to completely stop him. Just contain him and give yourself a chance, and who knows. And then another question. This one is from Richard in Lexington. Richard's asking about our road to Atlanta, as I talked about earlier. Well, let's take a wide look at this real quick. Because 
there sneaky is a chance if we were to come out and win in Death Valley that we could possibly make one of the more Cinderella runs to Atlanta in a while. Also, this is a year that you could have, eh, maybe not anymore. Kentucky was the only shot to, I don't see Georgia losing the rest of the year in the East. So it's, I, I bet Georgia will come out of the East because Florida's out of the picture. Tennessee has one loss in the SEC, so maybe they could knock off Georgia in Knoxville, which is a possibility. But I don't, there, it could also be a three-way tie out of the East with Kentucky having one loss, Georgia having one loss, and then Tennessee having one loss. South Carolina's out of the picture. Vandy's a high school team. But let's, let's, let's take a gander at the West. So right now we have Bama at the top with a 3-0 overall conference record. I'm not going to go into detail about the other game because everyone in the West currently has a loss. Brutal non-conference showing from the SEC. Everyone in the country's talked about it. I'm sure you all are tired of hearing it. And then LSU is at 3-1 and one in second place. Ole Miss 2-1. and one. A&M at 2-1 and one as well. Lots of 2-1s. And, and then we're rounding up the tail there with an 0-2 record in the West. So let's take a dive into our schedule here. So following LSU, we play Ole Miss at home. But if we, we obviously have to win out. We would need – or no, excuse me. We need Bama to lose two SEC games. So if Bama can lose at home either against LSU or just lose a crazy game like Ole Miss – or they already played Ole Miss at home. They'd have to lose to us and then lose to Tennessee. That's our best shot is the Vols at home, which they very well could. Tennessee's – that was a very odd performance by them to lose by two touchdowns against Florida. It's going to be – if you are putting this in gambling terms, I guess you're putting all your chips on red 18 and hoping – that Auburn were to pull off a miracle trip to the West. But even if we don't, if we somehow pull out a 9-3 and three season from this year, that's successful. If we pull out an 8-4 and four season, I'm going successful. 7-5 and five, teetering, but st- it depends on how it ends up. We got to beat the Mississippis. I think that is so crucial that we beat the Mississippis. Also, with Ole Miss being named a night game, that's a must win. I've said before the year that that was my stamp for us to win. I believe Hugh's going to come in so prepared for that. That should be a fun one. Stripe the stadium. I don't think we've won any of these themed games while I've been in college. We've lost every orange out. I don't know if we were themed up for A&M last year in Cadillac's primetime game. But in a crazy, crazy scenario, we need A&M to lose one more. We would need to win out. We would cancel out LSU if we were to beat them. And then we would need Bama to lose to Tennessee and beat them in the Iron Bowl November 25th to answer your question, Richard. Boy, am I excited for Death Valley. But also in Death Valley, you have some crazy fans. So that's something that we will talk about once we come back, break down some of the crazier fans in college football and kind of label them, give them some superlatives, if you will. But thank you guys for listening to Barnes for Bed, and we'll be back shortly. And welcome back to Barners for Bed, episode 29. And unfortunately for all you Garber, Jack, and Graham fans, I'm just now getting word that the rest of the 30 minutes will once again just be me. So I hope you enjoy my voice because I'm enjoying talking to you guys through this microphone and to Noah and Ethan over there in the studio. What's up, fellas? But moving on, I love this question, by the way. I, I got... This is from Jay in Lexington. He asked two questions. He asked first, 
Who would be your dream guest on the show? I got three that come to mind. One would be Sammy Coates. I feel like he would just speak his mind and give just some great answers. Also, he has some interesting stories. He still lives in Auburn. He had a tenure as a police officer, I want to say. I hope Sammy's doing well. Also, carry on another vocal voice on Twitter. I feel like he would give some great stories as well. And then lastly, I don't know if I want to do a Hugh. I'll do one Hugh player, old Hugh player, and then one old Auburn player. I'm going to go Smoke Monday because he was there for the Gus years and then the downfall of Harson. He's been very vocal about how Harson was not the best players coach, and we saw today how the Freeze staff has been reaching out to the parents of the players during the bye week, and everyone seems to appreciate that. And that was one of the criticisms that our former free safety had of our ex-coach. And then lastly, I would love to have Swag Kelly be on this podcast. Even though he didn't play at Auburn, dude's an absolute character. He has been across the globe playing in Canada and also played for Coach Freeze and played for Coach Freeze during some of the better years. I would love to hear if maybe he's around the program. I know Laramie stopped by and said hello. So I bet Laramie could probably give some insight about how Hughes adjusted or changed. Because we hear, we'll hear stories about coaches as they get older, their coaching style changes, maybe some other things. And also, I would love to hear how Hugh recruited them and hear that process because it's always great to hear some fun recruiting stories. But as I alluded to earlier, there's, uh, there's always head cases in the SEC. There's some crazy fans, and that's what makes the SEC fantastic. And take it or leave it, people from around the country besides the Southeast don't really understand it. And it's really just a part of our lifestyle. And when LSU comes to mind, you just think of the rowdy Cajuns, and that's sort of what makes them a hostile atmosphere. One of my good buddies, Wilson, was telling me this story one time, how he went down to Baton Rouge when Kentucky was playing LSU at night. Kentucky, uh, primetime debacle as usual. But he's probably 12, 13, just knocking on puberty and has some liquored up Bayou Bengals just giving him the tiger bait for maybe four hours. And I love that the lack of age discrimination on the smack talk. I feel like us and A&M are a little bit too kind, but also classy, which is very appreciative. So moving on to the fan supportives and the negative Nelly. This is, according to Bleacher Report, top 21 worst type of fans in the entire country. The most negative fan base I'll see on Twitter might, might be my very own Kentucky Wildcats. I mean, Calipari has been in and out winning. He, he, I mean, he has a great winning percentage. I want to say 78% off the top of my head, and people are still calling for his job. Bama football fans probably as well as – I would say any program that has high standards would probably be the negative Nelly just due to the ridiculous – expectations they have coming into the season Bama's just been in shambles with the it's so annoying how a 10 and 2 season for them they get rewarded with the number one overall seed in basketball but there's been rumors that Saban's not the same all this stuff the the dynasty's dead take a deep breath I haven't seen anything better than the the citrus bowl in my four years here the over-the-top tailgate guy. I wouldn't really say that's obnoxious, but I guess you could say Ole Miss because they pride themselves more into tailgating than they do than actual product on the field. And the Grove, I did go at noon, but I thought it was very overrated. It was just literally more white tents on a big street. 
that's all it was. It was fun. Everyone there was very nice. Got some free food. It, it was it was fun. But the over the top tailgate guy, I would give that to Ole Miss. The inexplicable optimist. I'm gonna give a tie here between two schools: Nebraska and Tennessee on Twitter. These two schools haven't been relevant since the 90s, with Tennessee not being relevant since T. Martin and Nebraska just being the Indiana basketball of college football ever since I've been alive. Every year on Twitter, I feel like they believe that they deserve to be considered one of the blue bloods, the elites, and just they think that when they're better, college football is better. I may give the nod to Nebraska on that. I'd say if, if they're good, that adds a little bit more juice to college football, but Tennessee, no. I'd say Tennessee's maybe the fifth most relevant team in the SEC, sixth behind Bama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, and Auburn. It's just an unreal, undeserved arrogance that that fan base in Orange has up in Knoxville. Obnoxious celebrity fan. You can name a few here. I feel like the McConaughey coverage at Texas has been a little annoying. You can even say the Taylor Swift coverage with the Chiefs, but that's I'm sure that's going to be short-lived. I don't even know if she went to the game yesterday in Minneapolis. You got all the annoying Knicks fans who are celebrities. There, there's a bunch of. But in, in college football, I don't even want to say McConaughey is obnoxious because he's he's entertaining. But there's a lot of when you whenever you're at a Texas game, I feel like a guy has like four or five cameras on him at, at all times. I want to say Georgia has an obnoxious fan. I feel like a lot of the Atlanta hip hop artists are big dogs fans. But yeah, I'll give the nod to McConaughey on that one. Hmm. Let's see here. The guy in love with the bench warmer. I would say that's any fan base that is obsessed with the backup quarterback. Unfortunately, that might be us because the past few years, and even when I was younger, week three, Jeremy Johnson, it was already Sean White time. I remember people wanted to bench Jarrett in 2018. And maybe that was just not me attending the games, but just seeing the people on Twitter and not really seeing it live in person, if you will. I did see it on television, but everyone wanted to bench him. Not That was pre-Joey, Malik. I just thought that was crazy. And then obviously Bo had three years of uh, quarterback couch coaches calling for his job. And then now, even now, we have people with this Robbie Holden just debacle of debate that surfaces every week. The Twitter fan. I talked about it earlier. Tennessee is up there for one of the worst Twitter fan bases. Indiana basketball. Indiana basketball is like if Auburn, which we do, we may promote it a little too much with the kick six, but at least the kick six spearheaded Auburn into the SEC championship and national championship game. With Indiana basketball, that Christian Watford shot against Kentucky in early December is so irrelevant to the rest of the the rest of the season and how it panned out. Sure, they had a welcome back to college basketball moment. They had Zeller, Oladipo, but it really didn't matter at all. They ended up losing to Kentucky anyways in the Sweet 16. So... I'd throw that one out the window, Indiana. They have it on popcorn boxes. We don't even do that with the kick six. We don't We don't even have it on popcorn boxes. We have it on highlights, which is necessary. It's a fantastic play. It's one of the best plays in college football history. But popcorn boxes for a regular season game, that's a little unnecessary. I like this one. The American soccer fan who's overcompensating. 
Not really sure what this means, but I believe this is one of the just people who are American and just promote soccer nonstop. I love soccer, but you do have people that sort of bash just the atmospheres in college football due to what happens over in Europe. And Europe prides themselves in having atmospheres to where it's not one of those that's a family-friendly one. You don't, it's not bring your kid to the game. It's you bring your lunch pail to work in your jersey, and you get rowdy games. So there is people like that. I personally am lucky enough to not know one of these people. I'll give the nod to my buddy Will Ankenbrandt. He's the closest person, I guess, that could have this title. Moving on, the hater and guy who hates haters. I feel like every friend group has these. This is our group. If it, there's always just overly positive people and then overly negative people. And people deserve the right to vent after games. And throwing the label out hater or you're just such an optimist, I believe is just so annoying. Let people vent, especially after a tough loss. Give people an hour before you start labeling. I don't know. That's just me. As long as you don't make it personal with the player, every fan has the right to vent to an extent. The bandwagon guy. I'll give that to the University of Alabama, probably now the University of Georgia. Alabama has fans across the country who have no affiliation with the university or the state. Georgia, I want to say 90% of their fan base doesn't even have people who are alumni. That's what I'll, I'll give credit to Auburn, and this is one of the reasons I love the Auburn fan base is I would argue 95% to 100 have some affiliation with the school or were an alumni. So that it's really people love Auburn. The Pat Dye quote that Auburn people love Auburn is not a lie. The guy who never sits down, how's that obnoxious? That's awesome. We're punishing people or scrutinizing people for being huge fans of their team. We got scrutinized up in Penn State a couple of years ago for that TikTok video that went viral of a guy standing up the entire game. I have nothing against that. That's awesome. Especially even if you're not in the student section. I love a gritty guy who's coming off of work, visiting his college town, even if he's on the road and standing for the full two and a half hours. That's awesome. That's not obnoxious. The wife or girlfriend who pretends to like sports. Ah, whatever. Everyone has those. The guy who always texts you from the game. I will, I'll admit I'm one of these people. I, I have Twitter fingers during the game. Uh, then you'll wake up and regret a few of them. But during TV timeouts, I like to make my voice heard. This is something I probably should not be doing and really soaking in the atmosphere of the game. It's a bad habit. It's like biting your fingernails, but I I love it. The good old days guy. I like this one. There's plenty of people in both sports, college basketball and college football, that reference both sides. And we are maybe a couple bad years away from becoming one of those fan bases, dare I say. 2013 was 10 years ago. 2010 was... X amount of years ago, Cam Newton's not walking through that door. But there's Nebraska, Notre Dame, Tennessee. The list goes on. USC for a while, too. I feel like the Pac-12 doesn't really have any vocal fans, but if they did, USC was there. Michigan, for many years before Harbaugh started cooking, and they they were a big look what happened in the past crowd. Lots of those in basketball, Carolina, Kentucky, Indiana, I'll admit, Kentucky is definitely one of those schools. Sad, but it's on the right trajectory. College football, or excuse me, college basketball rankings came out, but it's still October. I don't usually don't like to talk college basketball until around, I'd say, let's say the first preseason game. But, like I said, we still have business to take care of here in college football season. And week seven, week seven's the time of the year where it gets colder outside. You start wearing vests or hoodies to the game. 
it's just pure football weather. Things, conference plays starting to heat up. Rivalries start coming around. And it's one of the more fun times of the year. You also got playoff baseball. I hope none of the Braves fans, I, I know they're playing right now, but I hope none of the Braves fans take out their celebration, or excuse me, their, this is a, why is this a tongue twister? Their celebrations on Tumor's Corner and curse our program again. But when we come back, we will break down week seven, give out the picks of myself and my co-hosts who are not here. But thank you guys for listening, and we will be back shortly. And welcome back to Barnes for Bed, the fastest two minutes in sports. But this time it doesn't have to be that fast because we are a one-man crew tonight. Thank you guys for listening once again. We're back. For those of you just tuning in, it's only me tonight. Garber had homework to do. Jack and Graham took business on the flag football field. We will find out after if they won. But let's break down our picks for the week. Week 7, great time of the year once again. October, playoff baseball, college football is coming into the most crucial part of the year with rivalry month coming up. This is just prime conference ball, and then the NFL is heating up as well. So we'll, we will start with Graham's picks. Miami versus UNC over 57.5. Miami, what an all-time choke job. Shannon Dawson, their offensive coordinator, he is he, – I can't believe that guy's still coaching college football. I'm sure he's a good dude, but that guy is just not a mastermind when it comes to offense. He fired at West Virginia, fired at Kentucky, went to Southern Miss, and then I couldn't really tell you what he did after that. And then NC State versus Duke, under 46.5. And then he has Washington, minus 2.5 versus Oregon. And then Arkansas, plus 19.5 versus Bama. Wow. Betting against Bama. Are they at home? I'm sure Melo's smart enough to not do that while they're at home. And then I want to say these are Garber's picks. Can't really tell. Yes, they are Garber's picks. Garber has Tennessee minus 3.5, Memphis plus 3.5, USC, Notre Dame over 63, and then Purdue, Ohio State under 50. I like those picks. As crazy as this sounds, I'll I'll close mine off here there at the end, but I feel like the USC-Notre Dame game is always a low-scoring game. I just feel like it's the old Reggie Bush, Manti Teo type games. At least that's what comes. I, I lied to the FM radio last week saying that A&M and Bama were always just a low-scoring affair. I was quite wrong. I was just a prisoner of the moment of last year. Those old Johnny and Kenny Trill and the daunting tied offense games just, they would hover around the 40s for both ball clubs, and they were just an absolute absolute spectacle to watch especially if you had the over and Jack will not have his picks in so I will announce my picks so I have Ohio State minus 19 and a half versus Purdue Ohio State versus Purdue besides that one outlier a couple of years ago when Purdue took him took him to the woodshed there defeated him quite handily with Brom they they dominated who is their back he played in Louisville, Kentucky, now in the league. He played for the Cardinals for a couple years. Great back. But, the, yeah, they, they took Ohio State out of the playoff that year. Oh, it may come back to me. Speaking of Brom, I actually have Pitt plus eight versus Louisville. This may be a homer pick, but I feel like Louisville has not been in the spotlight in a while, and they're known to have these types of uh, disappointing outings, if you will. 
I could very well see Pitt taking care of business, or at least making this a close game. Louisville 6-0. No one expected that. Brom, Louisville needed a coach that understood Louisville, especially in the situation they're in right now, where all the recruits were going to the University of Kentucky. With Brom back, he will once again probably take over the city, which is the main recruiting pipeline, and get Louisville back to relevance. Louisville in 2013 was the best college athletics program at the time. Everyone forgets that. They won the championship in men's basketball, runner-up in women's, were in the College World Series, and then won the Sugar Bowl with Bobby P. and Teddy Bridgewater. They were on top of the world, and boy, did they fall off as an entire athletics program. That was truly one of the crazier things I've seen in a while. For my under, I'm actually going to disagree with Garber. I like the pick. I kind of want to flip a coin. This is more of just an instinct. Like I said earlier, I feel like the USC-Notre Dame game always goes under. USC has been scoring a lot of points this year. I've taken them in the over a couple times, and they've succeeded. They can put up points, but it's at South Bend. We saw last primetime game that Notre Dame had, them in Ohio State. It was a low-scoring battle. They scored at the last minute. Give me the under in that one. A weird, weird feeling under. Like a With it being that high, I could see it being like 28-24. You never know. And then for my over... I, for some reason, I've, every time Tennessee plays on that SEC 330-230 game, the games are always high scoring, whether they upset Georgia. Last year when they played Bama, that crazy, crazy game where Hyatt and company tacked on. I want to say the final was 52-49, to but a great game, one to remember, and I believe them and AM are going to put up points more than 56. Another great game in Knoxville. I can see this one being like a 42 to 35 type game. And I really didn't get to watch the full Bama game, but Max Johnson, we we may have been his coming out party there in Aguilan a couple weeks ago. It's kind of crazy how the college football world works, and it will be even crazier come this weekend and the rest of the year. What a full on ludicrous season one that's just seen some eye-popping results so far we've had the roller coaster ride of teams like Colorado coming to the picture then falling out of the picture they're still going to get some primetime coverage I hope that tweet was a lie by the way about the Peach Bowl inviting them even if they go six and six that that would just lose all credibility for bowl games I believe there needs they, they need to value something at even if they are consolation games, they still need to have some sort of value to get these players who have the option to go to the draft to still play. You have a plethora of quarterbacks, especially in the Pac-12 with their last year, and all these great rivalry games in their last year before conference realignment, and our very own Tiger Bowl. It won't be the last, but it will be weird not seeing the purple and gold in our schedule. I'll give my score prediction. So it's minus 17 is the spread Everyone's heavy on the Bayou Bengals. I think we cover, dare I say, but we still lose. I will say 42 to 20. No, take that back. Let's take that back one score. Same score as 2013, 35-21, LSU. We hang around, but at the end of the day, Jane Daniels and company will be too much. I hope I'm wrong, but if you had to ask me, like on a test, what I believe the score would be, this would be my answer. But wow, that was a full 55 by myself. Thank you guys for 
listening to me. Hope you enjoyed some of my hot takes. A little maybe too much Kentucky spew, but coming off that Athens defeat, I just had to get something off my chest. But now all eyes are on Auburn and the Tiger Bowl. Nothing but Origin Blue this week. But yeah, episode 29 of Barnes for Bed was a one-man show. But thank you guys for listening to us. We will be back next week for the 30th episode. I can't believe Weagle let us do 30 episodes. Who would have thought? I can't believe we got invited back after one, but we made it to this point. So we will celebrate that milestone for myself, Campbell Garber, Jack VC, and Graham Copeland, and to all the listeners out there. It's been a fun ride, and the ride is not over for a while. We will be back next week. And as always, War Eagle. Thank you all for listening from us here at Barners Before Bed. We hope you join us next Wednesday at 10 p.m. right here on Weagle 91.1 FM. Sleep tight, Tiger fans. And as always, War Eagle.